and welcome on this crisp May morning. Um, I just got back from a week in Hawaii yesterday, and Chicago was in the news there about the snow and the cold, and now I can see what they're talking about, except it's still, it's still beautiful today, and it's nice to get away from that 82-degree weather. <laughs> and delis is what's on our agenda this morning as we present Aaron Steingold of Steingold's Deli on Irving Park, where he dishes out his newish Jewish cuisine, it's not your grandmother's deli, but it still rings familiar with its offerings. The Tribune just rated Steingold's as having the number two best corned beef sandwich in Chicago. And Aaron Steingold is the one who cuts the mustard. I think it's mustard, not mustard, but I'll have to look that up with his offerings. Did you get a taste of his lox and bagel when you came in? And Aaron, interestingly, um, has... Uh, quite an illustrious food background. He was raised in Charlottesville, Virginia, to Brook, I did, it's Charlottesville, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, I got the, uh, there's all kinds of Charlotte, North Carolina and Charlottesville, and I get those little confused there. And I think I'm going there next month, nice. or in, in September, so, uh, for a food writers conference, anyway. Um, anyway, Aaron grew up in a kosher household and visited New York's delis often. He's a self-described restaurant lifer. Um, he came to Chicago when he was 12 years old and, uh, and later on worked at Charlie Trotter's, Art Smith's Table 52, and several other key eateries here before opening his namesake Steingold's with his wife, Elizabeth Abood, in 2017. Elizabeth, could you raise your hand? And, and if Elizabeth looks familiar, she looks like uh, a speaker we've had here a few times before, a renowned speaker, her cousin Maureen Aboud, who is one of the, I guess, world's great authorities on Lebanese cooking and has written a wonderful book on that. So uh, next time, bring your cousin too, okay? But, but you're, you're a full, full meal yourself because uh, Elizabeth works in the deli and she also trained as an opera singer. And... Uh, you know that expression, it's not over till the fat lady sings. So she's not fat, so she's not going to sing today. Um, anyway, the Steingold's is located at 1840 West Irving Park Road. And uh, Aaron is going to tell you about his newish Jewish cuisine. It's not Ashkenaz. It's not Katz's Deli in New York. It's wonderful. And again, it's been highly rated by the Tribune. So you take care and enjoy our delicious talk. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome. Thanks for coming today. Um, my name is Aaron Steingold. You met my wife, Liz. Um, I, uh, the first part of uh, my talk today is going to be a little bit of background about me and, and what uh, kind of contributed to my perspective uh, of what I saw uh, needed to be changed to uh, modernize the Jewish deli and help it survive long into the future. We've, we've had a lot of uh, Jewish delis across the country closing in the last 30 years or so. And, uh, you know, Louisa Chu wrote a wonderful article last fall about, well, actually two falls ago, two autumns ago, about the decline of the Jewish deli. And kind of the prevailing uh, reasoning there was that um, food cost uh, was, was really high and, and is really high. And that's, that's a gigantic reason why a lot of restaurants uh, serving traditional deli cuisine have closed 
is because uh, the expectations of the quantity of food versus uh, the, the cost of the food and uh, what it takes to put quality on the plate is, uh, is, is a big disparity. So, that, you know, uh, a lot of our wonderful delis have gone, gone the way of history, uh, both in New York and in Chicago. But um, there's uh, a lot of ways we've come, come, about, uh, come up with to, to change that. So, okay, so uh, I'm gonna give you, uh, show you a quick little video that uh, local ABC7 uh, made for us and it got picked up by ABC National, uh, the show Localish. Um, kind of just give you a little bit of an introduction into uh, you know, our, our vast uh, rebelliousness as we've been called by some journalists uh, into this cuisine. But um, I'll talk a lot more about uh, how we hope to continue the traditional side as well. So here you go. <laughs> This is not your Bobby's matzo ball soup by any means, unless you've recently been to Japan. My name is Aaron Steingold. I am the owner and operator of Steingold's of Chicago. Steingold's is a modern take on a traditional Jewish deli. We try to marry old and new, especially in the menu and the food. We make almost everything from scratch, hand-rolled, bagel, cure, locks in-house. We also make our pastrami and corned beef with USDA Prime. We cook our pastrami in a nice southern method, low and slow, just like barbecue. With our specials, it gives our chefs a chance to get very creative. They can go as far off as they'd like. This year, we are featuring a matzo ball scotch egg ramen. We start with the yakisoba noodles. So these right there are scotch eggs wrapped around matzo. No sausage involved at all. We sprinkle just a little bit of salt on it. Our famous pastrami, it's basically like meat butter. It just melts in your mouth. We have a pickled radish, a butter braised cabbage, scallions, a little bit of nice fresh dill, because a little dill never hurt anyone. Then its final component, our chicken dashi broth. We find that Asian flavors really merge well with the traditional deli flavors. A lot of umami is involved, a lot of smokiness and heartiness. We've had a lot of folks say it's the best ramen they've ever had. That's a very uh, subjective thing to say, but we think it stands up against some of the best bowls in town, definitely. Okay. So this is my uh, mother's uh, mother, Stella Charles, um, and uh, she's uh, from North Carolina. She, uh, I can trace her, my family on this part of the family all the way back to Wales uh, 11 or 12 generations ago, and my 10th great-grandfather was actually uh, one of the settlers of Jamestown, Virginia. Um, so uh, I, I kind of want to talk about just how I have vastly different backgrounds from all four of my grandparents and uh, kind of help contribute to this uh, you know, f view of food and, and the, the cuisine as a whole. Um, so uh, this is my grandfather on my uh, mother's side who uh, is from Greece or was from Greece and um, uh, his brother started the very first uh, Greek language newspaper in New York City. So. Um, Greek food is uh, incredibly important to me. Um, we don't do much with it at the deli yet, um, but uh, Liz is Lebanese, so uh, we, uh, you know, Lebanese and Greek food are, is very similar and just fantastic. We do 
uh, a Jerusalem salad style salad, which is we call the shepherd salad, which definitely utilizes some of those flavors. And we also um, have a, a lebni with our uh, laki tot. So we uh, use a, a Lebanese farmer's cheese instead of sour cream. It's very similar to sour cream, but it has a little bit more flavor. Um, this is my uh, father's, uh, my father as a little boy with my grandmother on his side. Uh, she's definitely a huge aspect of, of uh, our lives growing up. Um, she grew up in Brooklyn and uh, was next, next door neighbors with Danny Kay, actually, which is funny. Uh, used to love watching his movies growing up. Um, she definitely gave me a, a lot of... Uh, emphasis in my life towards excellence and detail and, uh, and taste. Uh, taste was a big, big one with her, and I, I think that's an important aspect to how we developed uh, the restaurant, um, is uh, her, what she kind of beat into me. And uh, oftentimes I'll meet people in the deli that, uh, that remind me a lot of her. She's a, she, she was a very tough woman, but um, uh, brought that Brooklyn sensibility to the, to the family. Um, this is her again with my uh, great uncle Sam, uh, circa 1935 or so. Um, and then this is my grandfather, Ben. He was a, a general practitioner in uh, Norfolk, Virginia growing up. He was born in uh, New York as well. Uh, both my grandmother and grandfather's families came over uh, to Ellis Island in the late 1800s, both Eastern European Jewish. My, my grandfather was from, uh, family was from Lithuania, and my grandmother was from Poland. Um, but they all came over at the turn of the century. Um, so uh, my, my grandfather was a very quiet man, definitely... Uh, you know, brought a lot of calm where, where it might not exist elsewhere in the household. So. Um, this is my uh, entire uh, part of my uh, grandmother's family, uh, uh, early 30s, uh, Passover, Seder, in Brooklyn. Uh, this is a great photograph. My, my grandmother, I believe, is about 12 years old, uh, back at the head of the table. Um, Passover was uh, just a couple weeks ago, and, and we did a lot of uh, catering for Passover, and it was, it was very interesting to see uh, what people's expectations of real traditional holiday food are. We, you know, we, we like to make everything a little different, so uh, some, most, you know, 90% of the people loved it, but some folks didn't, didn't like us messing with tradition, so... Um. Uh, this is my father and mother, and I as a little boy, and my brother. Um, my father is definitely a, a really well-read man. Uh, not not much of a foodie, um, but he, uh, as far as my Jewish background, my father would substitute as rabbi if if, if ever needed, and definitely uh, was was serious about religion. Later on in life, we we did keep a kosher uh, household. Scott uh, got one thing a little bit wrong. I, di I didn't move to Chicago until I was uh, 36, so um, so 12. I was still still back in Virginia, but uh, but no no problem. I, I wish I had been in Chicago that whole time. Um, um, my mom is an artist and and was an art teacher uh, for her whole career and lives in Charlottesville, Virginia. My dad lives in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. 
Um, my first uh, food memory of delicatessen was uh, Ratner's and on the Lower East Side in New York. I was probably three or four years old when my dad took me there. Um, definitely remember the really pink, beautiful borscht that was made there and uh, just just being overwhelmed by the the, sen <clears throat> the senses and the uh, smells of, of going there and experiencing uh, New York as a little boy had a, had a big impact for sure. Uh, this is Russ and Daughters, also uh, somewhere I visited as a little boy uh, every time we'd, we'd visit the family in New York. Uh, and it's still there today. It's 117 years old now, I believe. And uh, I actually met the third great granddaughter of the founder who, who actually runs their second location, which is a, a more upscale cafe uh, called Russ and, Russ and Daughters Cafe. Um, appetizing is not a big word in Chicago, uh, but um, in New York it describes uh, anything you put on a bagel is pretty much the, uh, the proper definition. So Russ and Daughters uh, mainly focuses on uh, fish, cured fish and smoked fish, and, and then bagels as well. Um, in the early days, back when most people kept kosher in this neighborhood, um, you would have to have separate businesses for, uh, as, as a lot of you probably know, for, for your uh, fish, and then for your meat would be a, a total separate area. So... Uh, appetizing shops and then you have your delis where you get your your meats and proteins um, so uh, so you know when we when we opened Steingold's the idea was to bring uh, the bagel shop which has now become such a American institution uh, the appetizing shops and the the meat delicatessens all into one um, and offer it more as a modern way of, of presentation rather than making everything ahead of time and letting it sit in the cooler all day. Um, we, we make everything to order and that allows us to, to lower food costs while serving a much, much uh, fresher product. Um, but you can still go into Russ and Daughters and there's whole fish everywhere and uh, lines out the door typically, and it's just a really, really great place. It's right, right around the corner from Katz's, which is uh, the big pastrami house in town. And, and uh, to give you an idea of how much of an institution Katz has become in New York, uh, they're open 24 hours a day. They have lines all day, every day, and I, I think they probably do close to a million dollars a day in business. They're really cranking each and every day. Um, Let's see here. So this is me and my siblings at my uh, sister's wedding. Just wanted to throw that one in there for good measure. Um, definitely close with all three of my sisters. And my, my brother definitely had a huge impact on my life. Uh, this is him here. My brother's a, a former professional rock climber, professional surfer, and professional snowboarder, uh, and is 10, 10 years older than me. So. Uh, he, uh, you know, a, a great story, and my wife probably could tell you the negative parts of this, but uh, he took me to the top. The first time I ever went skiing, uh, seven years old, he took me to the top of the Black Diamond and said, see you at the bottom. And uh, that's, that's how I've uh, operated in, in some areas of life, including this business. You know, we, we came up with it, and, and we, we jumped off the... the boat and uh, we're still here almost almost two years later so it's going really well um, 
So I, I grew up in Charlottesville, Virginia. This is the, the lawn, the famous lawn of uh, the University of Virginia. Um, my grandfather and his five brothers all went to UVA. My father went to UVA. Um, I, alas, did not. I actually went to college in the UNC system um, in North Carolina. But, uh, you know, living in Charlottesville as a kid was a, a great experience. It's a very liberal town, uh, very forward thinking, and uh, which, which in recent years you might not know that uh, given, the, given the horrible uh, happenings down there. But um, it's, it's an incredibly uh, vibrant city and, and really uh, a lot is put into education in Charlottesville. It's, you're, you know, there's a lot of pride in knowledge there and that's something I, I, I've always loved about that town. Um, it's also a, a great historic town, of course. Thomas Jefferson designed the campus. He wrote the Constitution there. Um, and... Uh, you know, uh, I also had some of my earliest experiences with, with fine dining cuisine there. I, I, uh, we'd spend time in the mountains, and uh, I remember a, a little farm-to-table farm restaurant when, when farm-to-table was uh, not a thing, you know, an actual restaurant on a farm where we uh, had uh, some, some beautiful local uh, cuisine. And, you know, at seven or eight years old, I, I just fell in love with, with food uh, even more so. Uh, I then moved to, to North Carolina in high school and uh, learned a lot about barbecue and seafood. The, the whole, you know, I started working in restaurants in, North, in the mountains of North Carolina uh, when I was about, well, I started in Greensboro in high school as a dishwasher, but I started cooking in Boone, North Carolina uh, when I was about 18 years old. And then, um, you know, learned a lot about barbecue in the mountains of North Carolina and uh, the importance of uh, low and slow cooking and, and preservation and pickling and things uh, that I never knew you could do with food, uh, you know, things that just became a huge, huge part of my life and the way I, what I want to taste and what I want my guests to taste in the restaurant. Um, I actually moved to the coast of North Carolina after college and uh, lived in Wilmington, um, and uh, you know, learned a lot about seafood and how to how to break down fish. And I did a lot of fishing there as well. Um, so uh, after after that, I moved to Charleston, South Carolina, um, and worked at Peninsula Grill, which is definitely one of the best restaurants there, one of the most famous, and uh, it's very fancy. We you know, it was my first uh, exposure to serious uh, fine dining and uh, I worked under chef Bob Carter there uh, and then uh, it was there that I made my transition from the kitchen into the front of the house and started learning about how uh, restaurants really operate uh, in the front of the house and I was a server and a bartender um, and uh, really began to look at excellence in restaurants from a whole different perspective the the team uh, work there was unlike anything I've ever experienced uh, e even since then. Um, it, it's a brigade style of service and it really, you, you talk about restaurants feeling like a ballet, the, the floor at Peninsula Grill on a busy night look, looks like a ballet. Uh, just really beautiful uh, food and, and attention to, to teamwork. Um, 
then I went to work at uh, the Sanctuary Hotel at Kiowa Island, which is just south of Charleston. Uh, just an incredibly beautiful place to work. That was my view every day from the Ocean Room restaurant window. And, uh, you know, at Kiowa, uh, it was even more attention to detail. This was a, a five-star hotel, um, and we were expect you know, we were serving, uh, this was pre-2008, right before 2000, the, the three years leading up to the big crash of 2008, and uh, the corporations would come here and, and spend millions and millions of dollars on food and wine, and, you know, the, the care and attention you, you have to give to, uh, you know, five ten thousand $10,000 bottles of wine is pretty incredible. And it's there that I learned, started studying about wine and worked as, eventually worked as a sommelier there. So, uh, you know, furthering my uh, attention to detail and uh, taste, you know, trying to develop an incredible palate um, with the hopes of someday opening my own restaurant. Um, this, uh, 2007, I moved here to work for Charlie Trotter. Uh, at the time, it was the only restaurant uh, that I was pretty aware of in Chicago. Um, it, I had always heard of it as, the, you know, the best restaurant in the country. And uh, that's, you know, I visited some friends in summer of 2007, fell in love with Chicago and moved back in uh, November. So I had a really short period of time working at, at Trotters. Um, I, I, I found the really late nights weren't, weren't for me. So, um, but, but in my three to four months, I made uh, friends and uh, you know, met some peers that I, I talk to every week to this day. Um, I also learned another level of attention to detail and, and Chef Trotter was uh, just an, an absolute uh, perfect, uh, perfectionist beyond anybody I've, I've ever met. And, and I learned the importance of, instead of putting a bottle on the table, placing a bottle on the table and uh, not making a, a, a chirp of noise when you do it. Um, you know, not, the, not that it's really that important, but, but uh, just the way of thinking of, of being as excellent as you can be in, in what you're doing rubbed off on me. Uh, it had a large impact in a short period of time, but I did get out of there pretty quickly. <laughs> um, this was table 52 right over at 52 West Elm Street. Uh, it's still there, but it's now called Blue Door Kitchen and it's painted blue. Um, you know, uh, quick side note, uh, in Charleston, I was, uh, I helped organize the very first, uh, meeting for president Obama, like early, early on in the South Carolina primaries. And when I moved to Chicago, uh, I helped, uh, uh on the campaign as well, uh, volunteer. So when I worked at table 52, uh, Art Smith was Oprah Winfrey's, uh, chef is, uh, still, uh, you know, in close contact with her, but, um, and does a lot of work with her, but the Obamas, uh, came in for Valentine's day on the first, on their first date out of the white house in, in, uh, 2008, uh, uh, February 14th. And I got to serve them upstairs and, uh, had been to the inauguration and it was just a, a great experience. We also, Hosted, uh, I believe, three other Nobel Peace Prize winners and uh, just countless dignitaries and celebrities as well come, came through there. 
So I worked there for four years and uh, was the general manager for the last two. Uh, it was just, just an incredible experience. Art is a you know, complete expert on hospitality. He, is, he makes you feel at home the instant you meet him. And definitely was something I wanted to bring to, to my restaurant eventually as well. Just over the top, not, not so much, you know, when I say over the top, I don't mean scripted. I mean over the top, genuine hospitality. And that's what I learned from the most from art. Um, this is my wife, Liz, and I, who I met in 2010. Uh, definitely uh, the luckiest uh, reason for moving to Chicago was to meet Liz. She... She changed me and gave me the, uh, the, the strength to be able to, to open the restaurant. These are our dogs, uh, Maggie and Charlie. <laughs> um, so that's our, our little family here. Um, Manny's is uh, you know a stalwart and a, an institution in Chicago. Um, it's definitely, uh, when I first went there, I, I didn't uh, expect you know, the cafeteria style. It's definitely unique uh, to Chicago, and, and I, I really love it. The Raskins have been really nice to us, um, and they are, uh, you know, they're the one deli in Chicago that managed to hang on, and, and not only hang on, just be incredibly successful. They have uh, their, their pastrami and corned beef is in Costco now, and, and they're doing really well. Um, so, you know, we're, we're big fans. Uh, then, uh, you know, I, I've read, going back to Louisa's article uh, that she wrote about the history of Delhi in Chicago, uh, I learned a little bit about Eli's stage, which is now uh, hanging on as Eli's Cheesecake, which is an incredibly uh, successful brand um, and delicious cheesecake. Uh, but I learned that uh, Eli's stage, Delicatessen, is where all the celebrities would go to eat in the 50s, 40s and 50s, uh, Joey Lewis, uh, Frank Sinatra, um, all, all those guys. So, uh, you know, Chicago has an incredibly rich deli uh, tradition. Um, my good friend Fred Degerberg, uh, who, who has uh, Degerberg Martial Arts Academy, grew up in Lakeview. He's actually seventh generation in Lakeview. And uh, he's told me a lot about the old Jewish delis in Lakeview and how they, they're, he says there literally used to be one on every corner. So it's, it's, it's sad to see them all disappear, but um, we'll talk a little bit about um, why, why they might make a comeback here. So. Um, and then Katz is in New York, of course, uh, just some of the best pastrami in the world, um, made in a real traditional New York style. Um, so then uh, we opened Steingold's in August of 2017. A ton of press that I did not expect uh, when we opened. Um, turns out a lot of food writers in Chicago are Jewish, and, uh, and that was a, a good thing for us, but we definitely opened a lot busier than we expected. I, I uh, designed the logo to be just real clean and classic, um, and, uh, you know, Despite the fact there's no bagels or pastrami on there, uh, you know, bagels, pastrami, and, and lox are, are the focus of the restaurant. Uh, we put the fish on there. I just thought it looked really classic. So. Um, so these guys are painted on the wall of the restaurant. We actually had a, a naming contest uh, via Instagram for these guys. And uh, we're, we're close to the corner of Irving Park and Lincoln. 
Uh, so we, we picked uh, Irv and little, a little Abe uh, there. So we, uh, this speaks, uh, A, we, we love smoked fish. It's a huge part of the restaurant. And B, we wanted to kind of give an insight into the fact that we're not traditional. We want to, to play with the uh, tradition versus uh, modernization of, of, of the cuisine. So we've got the guy smoking in a cigarette holder and then the guy vaporizing over there. So, so the number, number one food that I wanted to enjoy for myself in Chicago that I found was, was not uh, as readily available as I uh, wanted at all times was a, a, just a great bagel and lock sandwich. Um, we're probably the only restaurant in the city uh, apart from a fine dining restaurant that cures their own uh, salmon. Uh, we, we cure, we're in the neighborhood of about 120, 130 pounds a week right now. Um, we use uh, Schooner Bay salmon from Vancouver. It's fantastic. Uh, and then heirloom tomatoes from Mighty Vine, uh, which are a, a local tomato uh, that are, is grown year round in a hoop house. And then we use uh, really lightly pickled cucumbers, red onion, capers, and of course our house whip cream cheese. The bagels, we hand roll, boil and bake every day. Uh, we use an organic flour from Utah called Central Milling. And then we use honey instead of malt powder uh, to, to make the dough. It's uh, what makes our bagels different and what I, I think uh, better is that we ferment the dough overnight, every, every night. So you're getting an 18-hour fermentation from the dough, uh, giving it much more life and, and flavor. Um, and then every morning uh, around 5 o'clock, we boil and bake the bagels and seed them when, when seed or spice them uh, when we need to. Um, I hope you enjoyed your little bite out there. Um, this is our matzo ball soup. Uh, definitely something people have really near and dear to their hearts. And there are a lot of people come in and they say, you know, it's not going to be as good as my grandmother's. But, uh, but you know, we, they, they, nine times out of ten, they, they leave very happy. And, and uh, it, this is one we wanted to just stick really close to tradition. And uh, the, only, the only difference probably is we use a little bit more schmaltz in our, our matzo ball, give it a little more depth and flavor. Um, but it's, it's definitely a, a really heartwarming uh, meal. Uh, this is our, uh, we call it the big salad from Seinfeld, but uh, I just you know, want to talk just how important fresh ingredients and, and local whenever possible is to us. Um, you know, tomatoes are a big, big part of the restaurant because of the lock sandwich. So, uh, so we always have the, the, the best tomatoes we can find. Uh, this is uh, the first sandwich that got a lot of press. It's called the sister-in-law. It's uh, named for our Korean sister-in-law, Gemma, who's, who's an amazing chef in her own right. Uh, this is uh, shaved pastrami, anchovy mustard, uh, dill kimchi uh, and then and then more fresh dill on a publican baguette so this is this is the sandwich that we wanted to talk about first when we open because it really draws a line in the sand you know stating that we're not going to be your your real traditional deli here um, we, we really love uh, utilizing Korean Japanese uh, Vietnamese flavors uh, because they they mesh really well as I mentioned in that video 
I, I picked this slide. These are our deviled eggs, uh, which we do for catering. Um, I picked this one because I just think it's a beautiful picture. And, uh, you know, social media has had a big impact on food. Um, a lot of places, you know, think about how it looks before how it tastes first. Um, and it's something that is a huge part of uh, any restaurant's success right now. You, you almost have to have a, a strong social media following. So I definitely put a lot of impact, uh, even though I'm more interested in what it tastes like. But, uh, but uh, we definitely we try to make our food beautiful all the time. Uh, just another example, this is our uh, uh, bibimbap dish, uh, which is a play on a traditional Korean dish. Um, the base is a, a crispy rice cake, uh, farm egg, and then we actually cured these locks with uh, the same spices you use to make kimchi. So they're kimchi cured uh, locks there. This is uh, our most popular breakfast sandwich. Uh, it's a play on a New York egg on a roll. It's our pastrami, uh, you know, a farm egg, uh, pimento cheese on a homemade. Uh, we make all of our challah in the house uh, on a homemade challah roll. These are our bagels and uh, house whipped cream cheese. I already gave you a little good rundown on how we make those. Uh, you know, the second item that I wanted to make the absolute best in Chicago, or at least, uh, you know, one of the best is the Reuben. And uh, so it was, the, it was the bagel and locks and the Reuben, which really motivated me uh, to open the restaurant. This is uh, seen with both pastrami and corned beef. We're actually going to put this on the menu soon. It's going to be called the, the Half and Half Brother. So that's our... Uh, that's our Reuben. Uh, here's a, just a straight corned beef Reuben. Um, and yeah, we were, we were lucky enough to get named uh, number two in the city uh, during St. Patty's Day uh, the, uh, a couple months ago. And it, it uh, caused me to learn a really interesting uh, story uh, about why corned beef became the traditional St. Patty's Day dish. And uh, what it is is that with all the Irish immigrants in the late 1800s in New York, uh, they were looking for beef, beef bacon and, and uh, uh, back bacon as well. And uh, the best they could find was corned beef, and then they ended up loving it and, and turning it into a tradition in, in the Lower East Side Jewish deli. So there's, there's actually a a real connection that I didn't was not aware of uh, that we recently learned when we got that nice uh, shout out from Louisa. Um, and then the rye bread is from uh, Paul Kahn and Greg uh, over at Publican uh, PQB, which is the best bakery I've, I've found uh, in Chicago by far. And then this is our hot smoked pastrami. Um, we smoke it for about 14 hours, uh, 200 degrees, very low, slow. And uh, when it uh, when it's looks like this and uh, you bite into it, it just, just melts in your mouth. It's really, really delicious stuff. And then here's just a nice little glamour shot of all of our, all of our cuisine on, on one table. Uh, Shout out to Huge Galdonez at Galdonez Photography for, uh, for taking these great pictures. Uh, and then Frankel's in Brooklyn, uh, is, you know, they opened a couple years before us. They were one of the 
people who dove into modernizing the cuisine first. Um, and then uh, this is Harry and Ida's, which is about four blocks from Katz's. And their pastrami, uh, we did a, a nice side-by-side -side taste test with, with Harry and Ida's and Katz's in Central Park, actually, uh, before we opened the restaurant. And uh, Harry and Ida's was, uh, is the great-grandkids of Harry and Ida, who owned a deli in the same neighborhood back uh, in the 20s. And uh, they, they brought it back, named it after their great-grandparents, and uh, definitely modernized the cuisine uh, quite a bit. The, the pastrami is other, otherworldly. Um, so uh, these are just a couple of the, the great restaurants that are opening and, and taking a new perspective into this cuisine, making it, in a lot of cases, better, but also making it in a way that the restaurant can survive and hang on. Um, Wexler's in Los Angeles is another great example, and then Wise and Sons in San Francisco. But they're, but they're popping up uh, in a lot of places, Denver, Seattle, uh, Texas, believe it or not, Austin is, is uh, uh, somewhere that's, that's becoming a big uh, revolutionary food place as well. And I, I put up a picture of Fulton Market because in June we are opening our, our next restaurant uh, at the corner of Fulton and May, and it's going to be in a, a food hall called the Galley Food Hall. It's on, uh, we're, we're one of five restaurants there. But it'll be our first foray into a, a composed dinner menu and a brunch menu as well. So we'll have some really cool stuff. Uh, we're doing a, a salmon benedict, uh, of course, with the schmaltzy hollandaise. Uh, we're doing uh, a nice big cured and smoked plate, uh, share plate, and um, we'll do cheese plates as well. And then we're going to do some nice big whole fish that we'll smoke for, for dinner. Um, and for, for brunch, of course, you know, challah French toast is, is one of my favorite things. So we're going to have some great French toast. Um, so that's it. Thank you guys so much. I ho hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you have any questions, I'm, I'm happy to answer them. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, thank you. Um, so in New York, they call that that need to tear into the bagel fight and if a bagel doesn't have fight they they don't really want to eat it <laughs> we've got a gentleman uh, named mr rosen who comes in you know three or four days a week uh, for our bagels and he grew up in in new york and he's like i come here because your bagels have fight you know so uh so uh the way we achieve that and and a lot of people say you know only good bagels can be made in new york because of the water because it has great alkalinity you know, we, we, we fudge that with, with baking soda. So we, we just add baking soda to the water that we boil in, and it creates that nice, thick skin. Um, now, the, a lot of bagel shops in New York use, use lye instead of uh, baking soda. And it, it, it's the uh, same thing they use to make pretzels, but uh, it's very dangerous to use lye. So we, we chose to go the uh, less dangerous route with that. Yes, sir. I, I just remembered uh, when I was a kid, they would call bagels Jewish teething ring. <laughs> yeah. That's probably why. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Sure. 
Well, the first the first two months, it was it was incredibly difficult because uh, you know we weren't what a lot of people wanted us to be, um, and you know it, it in some cases got even ugly. You know on on you know the re- online reviews that that people would write about us, uh, but um, you know our hope is that you know as we've been here longer and longer is that the word gets out and and. Uh, you know, we we were in the press so much in the first six months that it was always hard for us to believe that nobody knew what to, to expect. Um, but but uh, you know, we still we still get it. I mean, one of our uh, investors actually, we when I mentioned uh, somebody being upset about the Passover food, it was you know he's one of our investors and his fa- it wasn't traditional enough for his his family. You know, so our matzo was actually you know made like you know a little bit more like lavash same same as matzah but it, it had more flavor <laughs> so they didn't like that so but but um but yes oh sure sure absolutely uh gentleman asked what uh you know how the deli came to be in america um so uh yes um from from my uh readings and and from my upbringing of hearing stories uh, it did start as the Eastern European Jews landed in New York, um, and uh, there were people would push around carts with smoked fish, and uh, the pastrami, I believe, uh, was a Romanian uh, uh, way of curing meat. Um, and of course, you know, with the lack of refrigeration in the in the turn of the century, uh, preserving and curing. And uh, smoking is, you know, incredible. Was incredibly important so that you know people wouldn't get sick. Um, so uh, it, it started that way, and then you know somebody slapped it between two pieces of rye bread with mustard, and uh, it went from there. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, you know, it, it's there's there's some great books written on the history. Uh, the best that I've read is Pastrami on Rye. Uh, it's a it's a fantastic history of the deli. Um, I, I won't uh, try to dig into my brain for for all the stories, but there are good ones. <laughs> sure, uh, he asked about how we deal with the uh, unhealthy nature of some of the food that we serve, um, and and if we ever substitute hummus for cream cheese. Um, we uh, decided to in the early days focus. On, on the, the items I mentioned, the bagel, the lox, and the pastrami, make them the best they could be, and the soups as well, using the more traditional and hearty ingredients. Uh, now that we have uh, a little space behind us and, and, and we're, we're, seems like we're going to survive uh, for a while, uh, we, we do plan to start making a tofu-based cream cheese. That's definitely in the plans for this summer. Um, we're working on a gluten-free bagel recipe, though it's really difficult to, to make a good one. Um, you know, we try to offer uh, stuff that is at least fresh and, and, and traceable. I, I, I believe that's a, a big part of, of being healthy is knowing where your food comes from. Uh, sustainability with our fish, where we pay attention to. Um, but you know, will we ever be the place that you get uh, five or six different, uh, you know, super super low calorie items? Probably not. <laughs> Mike Michael Poland taught me a lot about that in his his great books for sure. A- absolutely, I, I I couldn't uh, 
you know, I, we, we, we definitely, you know, always have turkey and that's, that's definitely probably our best seller is our, our turkey sandwich um, because of that. You know, these, this is, this is comfort soul food that, uh, you know, uh, is, is, shouldn't be maybe eaten. The, the Reuben shouldn't be eaten every day of your life for sure. I'll agree with you there. Yes, ma'am. Well, I'll, I'll, pardon me for yelling. <laughs> uh, she asked, why is Chicago corned beef maybe, maybe different? Um, you know, I, I, I'll try to say this uh, without being offensive. Uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with the quality of beef you're using. Um, and, uh, you know, because of the, what I talked about in the beginning of people's expectations of size of the sandwiches, uh, when, you know, when the economics don't work, uh, people often went to the least expensive beef they could, they could get. And then, um, and then most places in, in Chicago serve, uh, pre-made packaged corned beef. I mean, like 98%. So there's probably only three or four people in Chicago making actual corned beef every day. We, we make it every day. We don't. We have it. They have our recipe. Uh, there's a there's a place that has our recipe and our uh, and then and then brines it for us and then we cook it in garlic, coriander, and mustard seed uh, overnight every night. Thank you all so much for having me.